0: So, you're leaving. It must have been a hard decision.
1: Honestly,
2: it wasn't. It's funny. On my first day here, I asked Jeffords to tell me about everyone.
0: He told me you were a great detective. But the one thing you couldn't figure out was how to grow up.
2: Well, I think you finally figured it out. Well, thank you, sir. I couldn't have done it without you. Over the years, you've sometimes referred to me as uh, something of a father figure. Did I?
1: I didn't realize
0: that. But I want you to know, if I had had a son, and uh, he had turned out like you,
2: I would be very proud of him.
1: Thank you, sir. Wow. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to get this emotional. (laughs) It's not bad for an old robot, huh? Seep, more (laughs) sleep, Sir,
2: did you just make a joke? I believe I did. Yes. I guess in the end, we rubbed off on each other quite a bit. Title of your sex movie. Did I do
1: that right? It was perfect.
2: Rest in peace, Andre Brower.
1: An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher! Control! Happy before I change my mind! I give you... Super Train! Oh, so Episode 437,
0: Submission Number 1147, Man from Atlantis. Man from Atlantis aired on the NBC television network from September twenty second, 1977 to June 6, 1978 for 13 episodes.
2: But if you count the four television movies, it's 17 episodes. That means that it's one more than... Uncle Croc's Block, the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, Schooled, the number of aired episodes of Salvage One, J.J. Starbuck, Tiger King. Am I forgetting keep something else? Keep oh, going. Of science.
1: Hey, keep going. One more. One more.
2: I don't remember what it, the other one is. Little Bush. Oh, Little Bush.
1: And I found another show that had 16 episodes, even though odds are we're not going to cover it because it's actually sort of beloved. Jabberjaw.
2: But hold on, I have an idea. Any show that's 17 episodes can now be referred to as a man from Atlantis.
1: It's sort of like a baker's dozen. You get 16 episodes and one for free.
2: Yeah, you get Patrick Duffy, one more.
0: Everybody likes extra Patrick Duffy. This is just a fact of
2: life. Just ask Victoria Principal.
0: Here's the theme music. Well, guys, The Aquaman is still at the theaters as we are recording this and as you are listening to it. But instead of Jason Momoa, we are getting Patrick Duffy. That's right. Bobby Ewing, Frank Lambert, the host of Bingo America season 1. But would people actually watch a TV show about a guy who's the last son of a lost Civilization? Sure. Yeah, I'm thinking to myself, this is the age of Star Wars, so obviously the answer is yes.
2: Let me note, this came from a series of television movies in 1977, and the first of which aired about two and a half months before Star Wars was theatrically released.
0: And the thing about those TV movies... The one that aired in March basically served as the pilot for the TV series. NBC aired it, and people watched it. I mean, a lot of people watched it. It is one of the top draws of the week of March 4th, 1977, when it first aired. On the strength of that, they ordered three more movies. On the strength of those they ordered an entire series. Or, equally plausible, they ordered two seasons, and the first season was edited into three two-hour movies. Unfortunately, the data just isn't out there. All we have is our backstory. And the backstory goes like this. An amnesiac man is washed up ashore. He looks like any other man, but with bright green eyes and webbed hands and feet. From this, we are led to believe that he is the last known inhabitant of the lost city of Atlantis. He possesses exceptional abilities, including the ability to breathe underwater, and withstand extreme death pressures, as well as superhuman strength. His eyes are unusually sensitive to light, and he swims using his arms and legs in a fashion, according to Truth by Consensus Wikipedia, suggestive of an underwater butterfly stroke or a dolphin kick. The man, given the name Mark Harris by the Foundation for Oceanic Research, assists said foundation in top secret research and exploring the depths of the ocean in a submarine called the Cetacean submarine is crewed by Harris. The resident doctor, Elizabeth Merrill who had nursed Mark Harris back to health and CW Crawford jr. Who is basically bankrolling the whole thing. however, There's Trouble in the Waters, in the form of the villainous Mr. Schubert, among others. He's just the most prominent big bad. Man from Atlantis was the brainchild of American screenwriter and playwright Mayo Simon and American producer Herbert F. Solo. If that name sounds familiar, I'm sure it sounds familiar to you because, if I'm not mistaken, he was the executive in charge of production at... Desilu or Paramount when they were doing Star Trek.
2: Yes, okay. According to Truth by Consensus Wikipedia, Solo oversaw the development, sales, and production of Star Trek, Mission Impossible, and Manix. So he
0: would be working for Lucille Ball at the time, then? Correct. Mayo Simon wrote the pilot with Herbert F. Solo developing the series. So obviously... A match made in heaven. Uh, Some of Mayo Simon's early credits include Future World, the sequel, but not really, of Westworld, the original movie.
2: Yes. And guys, you do know who is in Future World, right?
0: Peter Fonda.
2: Well, that's not where I'm going with this. I was
0: like, I know Peter Fonda, Yul Brynner is in a dream sequence, which is just absolutely nuts if you think about it. Because I've actually seen Future World. Alan
2: Ludden, and Betty White heard Future World. Thank you! Jeez! Not joking.
0: Oh, Peter Fonda, Blythe Danner, Yul Brynner, Alan Lennon and Betty White. He was one of the writers behind that. So, obviously, some science fiction street cred in this premise, as is evidenced by the plot of the pilot, which he wrote, and I've got it right here. After a violent storm at sea, the inert body of a man is bound on the beach near the Naval Undersea Center. Equipped with webbed hands and gills instead of lungs, he can breathe underwater, swim faster than a dolphin, and dive to depths of at least seven miles. He is nursed back to health by Dr. Elizabeth Merrill and given the name of Mark Harris. In return, Mark agrees to help the United States Navy recover a lost, missing submarine carrying top military officials. Deep in the ocean, Mark discovers an enormous undersea habitat constructed by Mr. Schubert, a maniacal scientist who has gained the assistance of kidnapped scientists from various nations via mind control bracelets and plans to destroy all the nations of the world with their own nuclear weapons. So. To review, and this is a spoiler alert, it is the exact opposite of the Giggle episode of Doctor Who.
2: So Patrick Duffy doesn't turn into another person. I can only wish. And yeah, instead of the bracelets
0: suppressing your urge to act out, it actively encourages it.
2: Now, hold on. Do we want to describe for Mike what happens in the regeneration sequence? Mike,
0: are you ready for this?
1: Okay.
2: The Toymaker,
0: played by Neil Patrick Harris, shoots the laser that was supposed to disable a Korean satellite that's enabling a mind-controlling giggle on all television, actually anything with the screen, shoots it directly into one of the Doctor's hearts, And he starts to regenerate, 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 regenerate. On one side, you have Donna. On the other side, you have Mel Bush, who returns for the special. And you think he's going to regenerate to another face, but no. Instead, he asks both Donna and Mel to pull each arm in each different direction. And what happens is just one of the most incredible, one of the most heartwarming scenes I think I've ever seen in the franchise. I rarely say, I feel like I need to watch this episode twice. I felt like I needed to watch this episode twice. But they pull the Doctor, and he starts to split apart into the 14th Doctor, played by David Tennant, and the 15th Doctor, played by Shuti Gatwa. Yes, I researched how to pronounce his name.
2: Oh, thank God. I was wondering how you pronounced that. So we have two doctors at the same time. And 15's like, well, don't just stand there? Push!
0: So they literally split into two doctors. And it is one of the most amazing things I think I've seen all year. But back to Man from Atlantis, Mark foils his plan by flooding the undersea habitat and helping the scientists escape. Although the fate of Schubert is unknown, he decides to return to his aquatic life. But when reflecting on his recent encounter with humans, returns to a delighted Dr. Merrill declaring, I have not yet learned enough, thus setting the stage for further adventures with the Man from Atlantis. Herbert Solo's production company was actually spun off from the live action arm of Hanna-Barbera Productions, which, if you think about it, explains a lot. The Foundation's headquarters was represented by the Point Furman Lighthouse in San Pedro, California, and undersea voyages of the Cetacean were done in miniature thanks to the team of Gene Warren. But you probably want to know who Mark Dr. Merrill and C.W. Crawford are. So I'll tell you. Mark Harris is played by Patrick Duffy, again, before Frank Lambert of Step by Step, before Bobby Ewing of Dallas, and of course, before season one of Bingo America.
2: And we all know, Mike, how much you love Bingo America.
1: Oh, yeah. I just absolutely love it. Tell us how you really feel, Mike.
0: It sucks. It stinks. Playing Dr. Elizabeth Merrill is Belinda Montgomery, known for being a That Woman from That Thing. She started out playing Cinderella in 1969's Hey, Cinderella. Hold on. Hey, Cinderella. Hey, Cinderella featuring Jim Henson's Muppets.
2: Oh, that's terrific.
0: Perhaps men of a certain age, like the three of us, would know her best as Catherine Hauser, the mother of Neil Patrick Harris's character on Dookie Hauser, M.D.
2: Oh my god. And we did not plan that. We did not plan we talk about Neil Patrick Harris on Doctor Who knowing that his on-screen mother is in this show.
0: She was in Tron Legacy as Grandma Flynn. Oh. And then as C.W. Crawford Jr., we have the late, great Alan Fudge. Fudge. Over the last 10 years, I spent a great deal of time looking at intros of various television shows. I looked at Alan Fudge's name. I'm thinking to myself, that
2: can't be his name. You think, oh, this could not possibly be the name of a real person. But nope, it definitely is his name. And you know what? I thank him for not asking to change his name because that would be embarrassing if he chose that name as his screen name. But nope, that's the name he was born with and that's the name he's sticking with.
1: Oh, fudge. Only I didn't say fudge. I said the word, the big one, the queen mother of dirty words, the F-dash-dash-dash word.
0: So, among Alan Budge's many credits were two different roles on two different episodes of Highway to Heaven, Magnum P.I., The New Adventures of Wonder Woman, Capricorn One
2: as an uncredited capsule communicator. Oh, Capricorn One, the epic movie with James Brolin and O.J. Simpson.
0: Before we knew what we know now about O.J. Simpson. Allegedly.
2: Allegedly.
0: And then 27 episodes
2: of 7th Heaven as Lou Dalton. No, Chico, you're not going to make me say it. No, there are some things that I will not lower myself for. And I will lower myself to plenty other things here on this podcast. But no, that's not one of them.
0: His last role was as Alan Brand in the shareholder meeting episode of The Office in 2009.
2: I would have laughed if his last role was as Alan Fudge as himself.
0: Did Alan Fudge ever play
2: himself on an even? No, he did not. Well, that would have made it more funny.
0: But yeah, he was a that guy from that thing as a man from Atlantis. I shot. I shied. We don't talk about I shied on this podcast, do we?
2: What is I? I don't even know.
0: We've talked about it. It's a crime drama television series based on the starring character from the 1978 miniseries To Kill a Cop, which in turn was based on the 1976 novel by Robert Daly. It lasted one season on NBC, much like this show. He was also in Paper Dolls, which lasted one season on ABC.
1: Now, he was also on another show we don't talk about all that much on uh, this podcast. What's that? He was on a season seven episode of Wings. He he played a mayor.
2: Well, let's all remember, guys. (laughs) It was back in episode 300, where for the first time ever on this podcast, I mentioned that I loved Wings. How many episodes is that now? 137 episodes. Man, too many could you believe that 300 episodes that was the first time I ever said it
0: seems like only yesterday and then as the villainous Mr. Schubert we have somebody we already talked about earlier this year Victor
2: Blono that's right because we talked about him in the Dick Tracy pilot Dick Tracy Tracy. he's a a
1: good cop We almost did that in unison. Good job. Again, totally unrehearsed. But also, we've talked about Victor Bono a number of times in the past. Uh, I mentioned he was in the Unsold Pilot, the Rita Moreno show, which is absolutely abysmal, and hopefully it appears online one day. And we also talked about him in Sirota's Court earlier this year. But also, we talked about him on Super Train.
2: Oh, yeah. But let's not also forget, he was King Tut in the Batman 66 TV show. Not to be confused with Batman 66.
1: Yeah, because in fatman 66, it would have been King Tut, it would have been King Butt. He's got a fat ass.
0: Fat asses! And then there was an ensemble cast that's just credited as Crew of the Cetacean consisting of Richard Lawrence Williams, J. Victor Lopez, Jean-Marie Hahn, who is on future entry ARC 2, and Anson Downs. And in the 12th episode, there was a new female lead character introduced, Dr. Jenny Reynolds, played by Lisa Blake Richards. She was supposed to be sort of a pseudo-replacement for Belinda Montgomery. According to IMDb, Lisa Blake Richards is best known as card player number two in Mr. Mom, Janet in Rolling Thunder, and the opening voiceover in 29 episodes of Dark Shadows from 1969 to 1970. What a career. Still at it, actually. She's not doing anything memorable, so don't even try and research it. Okay. Okay. The last memorable thing she did was one episode of Heart of Dixie. So, we talked about one movie. Do we want to talk about the other three? Or do we want to keep this strictly series?
2: We can keep it strictly to the show, but we can mention that the three other TV movies. The Death Scouts aired on May 7th of 1977. Killer Spores aired on May 17th of 1977. And The Disappearances aired on June 20th of 1977.
0: And all four were released on home video back in the day. The first movie, we talked about it already. It's, it was simply titled Man from Atlantis. Features guest shots from Lawrence Pressman, also of the Dookie Hauser, and Philip Baker Hall. Philip Baker Hall was in an episode of It's a Living, but Greg, he was Joe Bookman on two episodes of Seinfeld.
2: Oh, Yes.
0: The library, and,
2: of course, the finale. The library, great episode. The finale, not so much.
0: Movie number two, titled Man from Atlantis 2, The Death Scouts. A human scientist capable of living underwater discovers similar alien life-inhabiting human bodies and looks to them for a clue to his origin. Movie number three, Man from Atlantis 3, Killer Spores. The Cetacean is called upon to recover a space probe that crashes in the sea and Mark soon learns that the probe is covered with thousands of tiny alien beings. They intend to learn all they can about the human race by invading host bodies and controlling them. Mark must return them to space before they destroy all humanity. Playing Colonel Manzone in this movie, James Sicking who would be Doogie Howser's daddy. That's
2: right. Wait, what was his character's name, Chase B. Seeking?
0: Colonel Manzone.
2: Oh, I want a Colonel Manzone! Give me a Colonel Manzone up in this.
0: And playing Edwin Shirley in this movie, Ivan Bonar, which we talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about the Colbys. He played Henderson Palmer. And the final movie, Man from Atlantis 4... The Disappearances Elizabeth is kidnapped. One of dozens of scientists held prisoner on the island of Felicitos controlled by special mineral springs that render their victims completely happy and compliant. Dr. Smith is using them to build a rocket to take her away from our troubled planet in search of some better world and Mark must find a way to counter the brainwashing and free the captives. Playing Dr. Smith that's Dr. Mary Smith Darlene Carr, she's done a lot of voice work. She was in Savage Dragon, Captain Planet, The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, The Secret of Nim, and The Pirates of Darkwater.
2: Ooh, The Pirates of Darkwater. Very big cult animated show. Okay, now we're into the series.
1: No, we're not. Oh, we're not? We have one more person. Playing a minion in this movie.
2: Wait, a minion? Well, Mike, it's like 35 years before Minions. I don't think you'd have a Hello.
1: Not that type, but I thank you for playing. <laughs> playing a minion in his third ever credit, Ernie Hudson.
2: Wow. Magic from Quantum Leap is in this?
1: Well, I was thinking from Ghostbusters, but your mileage may vary on that. so yeah now we can get to the tv series proper
0: episode one and this aired september 22nd 1977 so we had a whole summer to get pumped for the series they start with meltdown water levels are rising all over the earth still are Mr. Schubert offers to stop the disaster in exchange for Mark Harris, but it's the villain himself who is melting the world's ice caps with microwaves. Schubert agrees to stop the meltdown if Mark will stay on his own free will as a test subject, though his true plan is to flood the world and repopulate it with a new species of water-breathing men. As a hot dog stand owner, we talked about her in the past, D. Wallace Stone.
2: Oh, Elliot's mom was a hot dog's inventor in the first episode.
0: And as an uncredited cameo as a newscaster, Mike Douglas, speaking of big names. Mike
2: Douglas, wow.
0: Episode 2, The Mudworm. Ships are being damaged by an unknown agent hidden at a depth impossible for the Navy to reach, where the Cetacean finds an automated robot, the mudworm. It is programmed to crawl along the sea bottom, collecting mineral samples, but was damaged, and now resists all efforts to approach it with deadly force. Mark manages to shut down the robot and haul it inside the Cetacean, but when it reactivates, it will destroy everything in its path in an effort to escape. That includes Mark. Episode 3, Hawk of Moo. Schubert's tracking of a mysterious power source causes a blackout at the center of which Mark discovers an ancient statue of a hawk. When he rescues Schubert's daughter Juliet from drowning, the villain learns of the hawk and steals it to discover the secret of its power. We have Mr. Schubert, Victor Buono, returning as the big bad as Juliet Schubert, a lady by the name of Victoria Huxtable. Her credits basically span from 1974 to 1980, and the most notable thing that she was ever in is a recurring role in previous entry, Fish.
2: Oh, Fish. I thought you said bitch. Ah! Ah! It sounded like you said
1: bitch. Why can't it be both? Episode. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I've got Abe Vaguda playing a bitch. I I can't get that out of my mind. Thank you, Greg. Just
2: remember, I thought when he said Batman 66, he said Batman 66. Oh,
1: great. So now whenever we talk about fish, I'm going to think you said bitch.
0: Oh, Lord. (laughs) Episode.
1: And we all all know who the real bitch was on uh, Fish. Florence Stanley, his wife.
2: Oh, gee! Everyone (laughs) knows it was Florence Stanley. Oh, Lord.
0: Son of a Episode four. Giant. The world is endangered when a vortex opens in the ocean and Mark must find where it's going and somehow stop it before all the water is drained away. Playing a character named thark
1: oh i think this is the giant i'm just saying
0: he may very well be a giant
1: is this typecasting no never mind
0: (laughs) he was definitely a giant when he fought bruce lee in game of death kareem abdul jabbar ladies and gentlemen (laughs) the wise athletes kareem abdul jabbar because i don't know if you've ever heard his podcast he's got a good podcast
2: would he have just arrived with the Lakers at this point in 77? Because how long was he in Milwaukee?
1: I thought it was till like about 74 or so, but I could be wrong. Uh, 75, he went to the Lakers.
2: Okay, so he's been in L.A. for two years now. And
0: he would play for the Lakers until 1989. Wow.
2: Yeah, he was like 40 when he retired, right? 42. Oh, geez. He was old when he retired. Wow.
1: Yeah, I think he just turned 75 this year. Oh, actually, that'd be 76. Okay.
2: Oh, geez. Can't handle that. Kareem's now getting close to 80. Just remember
0: his name is Roger Murdoch,
2: and he's a pilot. It should be noted that we recorded this episode before Kareem's accident that left him in the hospital, so we here at the podcast wish Kareem a speedy recovery. Episode 5, Man of War.
0: That's Man O' War. Trapped for cash from his many expensive bids for world domination... Evil will do that to you. Schubert breeds an aggressive genetically altered jellyfish 10 feet across named Pooba, and uses it for blackmail. When the creature attacks a swim meet, Mark must battle for the jellyfish.
2: Hold on. Now I'm thinking about Austin Powers where Dr. Evil had the sharks with freaking laser beams on their heads.
0: All right. We started with, you know, these serious plot lines with uh, eco terrorism and the Earth's oceans in danger, and it's up to this research team to use their combined mental might to stop it. And now we have basically a plot from a James Bond movie.
2: Yeah, now they're getting really ridiculous.
1: Now, wait, I got an idea as how you would repel that. Isn't one way to get rid of jellyfish or jellyfish stings to pee on? somebody or be on their leg so get like a couple people just take a whiz you'll get rid of the jellyfish
2: i don't think mike that they were ready to show that in 1977 on nbc
1: they had censored boxes they could have put it on after dark they could have been like you want to see the uncensored version of this go to nbc whatever nbc premium Whatever Peacock was in 1977, they would have carried this.
2: Look, Mike, I don't think On TV was on yet in 1977.
1: I tried.
0: Playing a character named Dusky, Harvey Jason, a that guy from That Thing who was on an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, Greg, and also an episode of Night Court, Mike.
1: And we can round it out by saying, hey, Chico, was he on an episode of Power Rangers? Well, no, that would be the trifecta, and that's not happening. No,
0: it is not. But if Kiesel was here, she would love to know that he was on an episode of Dynasty. Because as we all know,
2: Kiesel loves all that shit. But playing Blaze Mullen, somebody everybody loves, Gary Owens. Can we say Gary Owens making a low-key Hall of Fame case?
0: But guys... Playing a maitre d' in this episode, Monty Landis, best known as Mario in
2: Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, Mario in Pee-wee's Big Adventure.
0: Was also in previous entry, The Golden Palace, as Mr. Rashudi in an episode.
2: That was a good episode, The Golden Palace.
0: Episode 6! Shootout at Land's End. No, this is not the catalog store, ladies and gentlemen. While investigating an underwater volcano, Mark is stricken with sudden pain in the shoulder. This is not the first time he's felt pain for no reason, and his instincts lead him to a deserted beach and inexplicably to a frontier town of the Old West called Land's End. There he meets his identical twin, Billy, another water breather who washed up on a beach with no knowledge of his true identity. Billy takes Mark's place aboard the Cetacean, leaving the man from Atlantis to face the villains of Land's End. Obviously, Patrick Duffy plays a dual role in this episode. Yeah, this isn't typecasting. Playing two of the people in Land's End, Clint Hollister and Artemis Washburn, Pernell Roberts and Noble Willingham, respectively. Colonel Roberts, of course, was Adam Cartwright on Bonanza, long before he was Trapper John M.D. And Noble Willingham was on Walker, Texas Ranger
1: with Chuck Norris.
2: Walker told me I have AIDS.
1: Damn you! I was trying to avoid saying that. Episode 7.
0: Crystal Water, Sudden Death. The cetacean finds an underwater force field, which shelters a race of air breathers with a strange clicking language. Mr. Schubert forces the clicks to mine crystal for him, but taking the crystals will cause the field to collapse and kill them all unless Mark can intervene. One of the clickers, Havergal, played by a man we don't talk about a lot on this podcast, except when we really do,
1: René Aubégenois. Nothing.
2: Well, Benson, and Deep Space Nine.
1: And he was Dee's acting coach on that one episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia.
2: That's right, he was.
1: Episode
0: 8, The Naked Montague. When a seaquake opens a fissure and Mark investigates, he finds himself in the world of Romeo and Juliet. Playing Romeo, John Shea
2: from The Lois and Clark, and The Gossip Girl. He was Bobby Kennedy in the NBC Kennedy miniseries with Martin Sheen as JFK. And I think I've mentioned this. You know who played Teddy Kennedy in that? Kevin Conroy. Ah, nice. So Martin Sheen's brothers in the Kennedy miniseries on NBC were Bruce Wayne and Lex Luthor. Playing Juliet on this
0: episode is Lisa Elbacher who was in episodes of Wagon Train, Laredo, My Three Sons, and Gunsmoke before finding her way aboard the Cetacean. Keeping it relevant to things that we've
2: seen this week,
0: she was in Beverly Hills Cop.
2: The original Beverly Hills Cop. And it's relevant because next year on Netflix, we get the fourth entry in the series, Beverly Hills Cop Axel F. And they're bringing back everybody for this. Even, like... Bronson Pinchell is coming back as Surge. Playing Friar Lawrence in this episode,
0: Louis Arquette. I believe this is the first time we've ever discussed an Arquette on this podcast. I'm no! Crazy.
2: No, we've uh, talked about Rosanna and SNL five eighty six. 86 I stand corrected. She was the host of the SNL episode that was preempted by Game 6 of the 86 series between the Mets and the Red Sox. But hold on a second. I think we've talked about David in an episode or two. We had to have mentioned David before. And we definitely (laughs) have mentioned Cliff Arquette as Charlie Weaver. I think Louis Arquette did a voice in uh, Hulk Hogan Rock and Wrestling, didn't he? Yes. He was Superfly Jimmy Snuka. Oh, well, given what Superfly Jimmy Snuka did, if you watched Dark Side of the Ring. Oh, God.
0: And while he was voicing Superfly Jimmy Snuka, he was the old beachcomber Lucas Buchanan on Future Entry, Rocky Road on TBS. One of the Arthur Company joints right there. That was Rocky Road. It's one of the Arthur and Cherico joints. Yeah, Down to Earth, About the Angel safe at home about the sportscaster and rocky road about the family who's running the ice cream shop on the beach when both of their parents have died.
2: Now you made me think about sloth when he says
1: rocky road. Hey, some other places that we've talked about him in the past, he was on an episode of Delta house, an episode of 10 spree and brown shoe. And he was on an episode of E slash R.
2: So possible future Hall of Famer.
1: I really think if he's in, he's getting in because of Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling, to be honest. And then playing
0: Samson, David Gatro, who we talked about as Commander Branch Greg in the original Star Trek The Motion Picture.
2: Oh, yes. Star Trek The Motion Picture.
0: I think the last thing I remember him in was an episode of For All Mankind on Apple TV+.
2: And the new season just premiered, I believe.
0: But I was looking at who wrote this episode. A guy by the name of Stephen Kandel. His credits include Mannix and MacGyver. And two episodes of Star Trek. Episode 9. C.W. Hyde. An enzyme from a rock fossil Mark finds on the seafloor with the properties of changing people's personalities gets into CW's copy, while Mark and Elizabeth are sent to recover a lost survey probe with a deadly self-destruct booby trap. As a bartender in this episode, Frank Bonner.
2: Oh, Frank Bonner from WKRP in Cincinnati. And let's not forget, Frank Bonner was the one. sold Henry the refrigerator on Punky Brewster that (laughs) Sherry was locked in
0: and then we have an interesting credit playing Sarah is somebody named Pamela Peters Solo credited as Pamela Peters I have to wonder if that is one of Herbert Solo's daughters because he has three episode 10 scavenger hunt Mysterious, deadly canisters buried at the ocean floor resurface on a primitive island where Muldoon has the natives believing he speaks for a powerful god. Oh yeah, this is another recurring big bad guy, Jack Muldoon, played by Ted Neely, who has perhaps the biggest, most pressured role ever. He was Jesus in 1973's Jesus Christ Superstar jesus but we did talk about him in tucker's witch so a little less pressure than playing the son of god playing kanja the speaker for the natives somebody we also talked about a long time ago greg ted cassidy oh lurch episode 11 imp Disaster strikes at the Triton undersea habitat and threatens to spread to the world upon the appearance of Moby, a being that turns men's minds to those of a child.
2: Hold on. When you said imp, I thought you said pimp. (laughs)
0: Let's just leave it right there, Greg, because I know where
1: your mind's about to go. (laughs) Mine's going to the time we talked about fish, and I thought you said bitch.
2: Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Well, just remember, imping ain't easy couple big names on this episode playing duke
0: jaime the robot himself dick godier and playing moby the being that turns men's minds to those of a child arnold takahashi himself pat marina
2: oh that's amazing what a one-two punch for this episode
0: episode 12 and this is the episode where we have the uh substitute doctor in for uh Belinda Montgomery's character Siren Mark believes a series of sonic uh, attacks to be the song of a siren he finds a young siren held prisoner on a submarine and must free her from the underwater pirates playing a member of the Cetacean crew and this is actually the first appearance of her as a member of the crew outside the crew that's on every other episode Kim Lankford from Knott's Landing and the final episode, Deadly Carnival. When a man who works at a carnival dies from drowning, Mark is sent to investigate. He learns that two men who work at the carnival are planning something that requires a someone who can hold their breath underwater. And of course, playing Moxie, one of the carny barkers. Say it, Billy Birdie.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. Did he have another little person a magician with him?
1: not for another year
2: oh and we have another substitute blonde
0: doctor next to Mark Harris on board dissertation playing Charlene Baker in this episode Sharon Farrell from Hawaii 5 the last
2: season well it's funny that you mentioned Hawaii 5 we'll talk about that in a bit
1: we also talked about Sharon Farrell previously in Kolchak the Night Stalker Oh. And we mentioned her uh, when we talked about Coltech the Night Stalker. She was on the first week of Match Game 78, where they used the Star Wheel. Oh, yes. And sadly, we lost her earlier this year, May Aww. 15th of 2023 at age 82. Aww.
2: what happened with this show? Because the TV movies were well received. So... How did this go wrong when it went to series?
1: Well, I've got schedules in front of me. And I took a look at the ratings, and the ratings really were not that good, especially about 8, 9, 10 episodes into the series.
0: That's when it ventured into the zaniness, I think.
1: Right. Yeah, you did mention that, that it got a little overly fictitious. So the first movie aired from 9 to 11 p.m., and... Up against it, and this is on a Friday night, mind you, was the Brady Bunch Variety Hour and ABC News Close-Up, which I would guess is something similar to 2020. Maybe 2020 before 2020, since 2020 at that time would have been on Thursday nights. On CBS, though, maybe in 1977, this is not much competition. The first hour of Man from Atlantis went up against the Sonny and Cher show. And the second hour went up against something called Hunter, not that Hunter from NBC with Fred Dreyer and Stephanie Kramer. I don't know if this is movie two or three. I think this is two aired on a Saturday night from nine to 11. This is not good competition all around. I'm surprised it survived this on ABC. It went up against the last two hours of Thunderball. And then on CBS, remember CBS's comedy night then was Saturdays. All in the Family, Alice and the Carol Burnett Show. Albeit the last of those, Carol Burnett Show would have been final season, I do believe. And then one more movie aired on Tuesdays. I I think this is number three. Uh, Again, 8 to 10 p.m., I have the ABC competition. The CBS competition was preempted here. ABC had Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, and the first hour of Rich Man, Poor Man. That's tough right there, the eight to nine hour. Uh, And then the CBS, like I said, was preempted here in Cleveland for Indians baseball versus the Minnesota Twins. That would have been kind of, yeah, in 1977. But then we get to the series proper. I've got this hopping all around. I saw it at nine. I saw it at eight. I believe this is the first episode of the series proper. Thursday, September 22nd. It aired at 9 p.m. till 10. On CBS, it went up against Hawaii 5 There's your Hawaii 5 reference I think you were making earlier. Yes. And that would have been third to last season, I believe. Yeah, because uh, it ended in 80s, so this would have been seventy-seven, seventy-eight, And then on ABC, in that 9 to 10 hour, you had Barney Miller. And this would have been third season of Barney Miller, I think, or fourth season. And, oh, uh, I hate saying this just because, well, this show aged horribly. Carter Country.
2: That's right. Victor French. But sadly, without the sweet-ass A's hat.
1: Not much later, uh, October 13th, it did air in the 9 to 10 hour. Hawaii 5 was its competition on CBS again, but on ABC, oh, man, this is really bad for Man from Atlantis. 9 p.m., Three's Company. 9.30, Soap. Oh. So you're talking probably first season or second season of Three's Company and first season of Soap. No bueno. Then in December it moved to Tuesday at 8 p.m. CBS aired some sort of special called "Artemis Flag." I don't know what that is, but again, you want another one-two punch from ABC? Happy Days in Laverne and Shirley.
2: Do you know what it got replaced with on the schedule in winter time, Mike?
1: What was that?
2: According to True by Consensus Wikipedia. Oh. The Chuck Barris Rah-Rah Show.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: Wow. I don't even know what that is, and I consider myself an expert on Chuck Barris.
1: I think we should say that a good friend of this podcast, Adam Nedef, just released his book about The Gong Show. I'm really looking
2: forward to that entry about the Popsicle Twins.
1: Wouldn't it be something if he found them? So wait, you're wondering what the Chuck barris ra Rah show was?
2: Yeah. It doesn't even have a link on Wikipedia.
1: I have some capsules here. I'll give you one just to give you an idea as to what it is. Host Chuck Barris is joined by Tex Beneke's orchestra with Paula Kelly and the Modern Airs. Paula Kelly, wow. The Marquee Chimps, Fred Travelina, Susan Alvernax, Henny Youngman, J.P. Morgan, Carl Ballantyne, The Wet Willy Band. What? <laughs> Wet the Willy. Hell I just, is this? I'm the messenger. It, it says The Wet Willy Band. You do your own research. I'm not doing that.
2: Look, they had me at Fred Travelina, so I'm sold instantly.
1: Uh, Al Allen Peterson, The Four Coasters, Fiddlesticks, and The Unknown Comic.
2: Now, I would have loved to have seen like Fred Travelina and The Unknown Comic do a set together.
1: Okay, I have information about the Wet Willie band. Wet Willie is an American rock band from Mobile, Alabama. Their best-known song, "Keep on Smiling," reached number ten on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart in August 1974. Ooh, so kind of, sort of sounds a little like Leonard Skinnerd, but well, but not Leonard Skinnerd.
2: Mom, I want Leonard Skinnerd. We have Leonard Skitter at home. <laughs> it's the Wet Wooly Band.
1: That last schedule position is where it stayed throughout the rest of its run. So it continually went up against Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. Maybe there's your reason why it didn't last past 13 regular episodes.
0: But here's the thing, though. It does have a bit of a legacy, this show. Because Man from Atlantis will go down in history as the first American television show to be shown in communist China in 1980, where it aired under the title, and I'm getting this from our computer's uh, Chinese cousin here. Which translates to The Man from the Bottom of the Atlantic. The impact of the series in China, according to Wikipedia, was so high that they actually had to reschedule a pianist's concert in order for everybody to watch the show.
2: Everybody in China was like, we want more Patrick Duffy, screw this pianist.
0: And it also aired in Brazil, Portugal, Kuwait, the Netherlands, South Africa, Germany, France, and the UK where it aired opposite to and often beat Doctor Who.
2: Wow. And this is Tom Baker era Doctor Who too. Maybe Mary Whitehouse was saying you know you shouldn't watch Doctor Who. It's too scary. Watch this man from Atlantis instead. I'm sure it's less scary.
0: It also happened a year later when ITV aired Buck Rogers in the 25th century against Doctor Who.
2: Yeah, because everyone wanted to watch it for well, you know why, for want to watch Buck Rogers. Aaron Gray? Yes. Okay, Mike, you agree, right?
1: I'm really surprised Chico had to confirm that. Not saying there's not other reasons to watch Buck Rogers, but We just mentioned her last week. Yeah. We mentioned her in the That's My Line episode. Aside from all that, here in the States, we had the
0: Dell novelization of the four movies. And also a series of comics by Marvel published as Man from Atlantis, written by Bill Mantor with art by Frank Robbins and Frank Springer. And... Kenner actually began development on a line of action figures based on the show, but it never proceeded past the prototype stage, while Dennis Fisher Toys passed on making Star Wars action figures for the UK as they thought The Man from Atlantis would be more successful. Spoiler alert!
2: It was not a success. They chose poorly.
0: However, Patrick Duffy, after his time on Man from Atlantis, after his time on Dallas, after his time on Bingo America, after his time on the Dallas reboot. No, this would be during the time of his Dallas reboot, I think. Oh, okay. But after his time on Step by Step, wrote a sequel novel and described it As thus. This was in 2016. June of 2016. When TV unveiled the series Man from Atlantis, no one knew the how, where, and why of Mark Harris. Over time, the show's star Patrick Duffy formulated his own version of the history of Mark and his people. Here at last is the book that gives every reader and fan of the show the life and mythology of Atlantis. Who they were and where they came from. Patrick Duffy's close connection to his fictional character makes this a behind-the-scenes fantasy story. Memorable, but at the same time, and let me quote Tom Shales here, Kids may be impressed by the heroics of the special effects, but the show lacked adult appeal, and the stories would soon wear thinner than water. That ah, Tom. Tom Shales is the unspoken villain of this podcast, I want to think.
2: But he did co-write that SNL book. Earlier, I said... (laughs) "Hold on, Whammy. Amy, what are you doing?
1: I'm the unwritten villain on this podcast. (laughs) That's right. Tom
2: Shales can screw himself. You're the real villain of this podcast. Yeah,
1: that's right.
0: Let Mike back in. I have to do the bit where we talk about home releases.
1: Okay. Merry Christmas, everybody.
0: Merry Christmas, Whammy. The pilot film, as we mentioned earlier, was released on VHS by World Vision Home Video...
2: Oh, hold on a second. This is the first time I'm ever going to say this on this podcast, but we should clarify. World Vision Enterprises, Inc. is not affiliated with World Vision International, a religious and charitable organization.
0: And re released in 87 by Good Times Home Video and later released on DVD as part of Warder Archive's Manufacture on demand service from Warder Home Video on October 6th, 2009. On July 26, 2011, Warner Brothers released Man from Atlantis, the complete TV movies collection on DVD featuring all four films as well as Man from Atlantis, the complete television series for Region 1 DVD. The pilot film was released on Blu-ray by Warner Archive in 2019. However, if you cannot bother yourself with cumbersome physical media, All of the episodes of the series are available right now for a small fee on Amazon, Google Play, and Apple TV.
2: What about Xbox Live Video Marketplace? Is it on that?
0: Cannot verify one way or the other.
2: Well, I can search right now, because technically the Xbox Live Video Marketplace still exists, but it says Movies and TV, so I can search for that. So is it. Uh, yes! I don't know if it's the TV movie. I think the TV movie you can watch there. On there. No, it says watch on Prime Video, so no.
0: Okay, so we can add Prime Video to that. So, Aborted Toys, a novel, and you can watch the show digitally as of this recording. Not bad for a show that got kind of hokey at the end.
2: But... In the end, Patrick Duffy, on his way to becoming Bobby Ewing and marrying Suzanne Summers was in this thing on TV. You
0: know what Patrick Duffy was never on, although they could keep a seat warm if he wanted it? The Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. Hit the music, please!
1: It's time for this weekend match game, Hollywood
2: Square, our history. Oh, this is going to be the epic week that we've been waiting a long time to talk about because this is Christmas week, 1983. So Mike, let's just get the cat out of the bag right now.
1: Your celebrities this week in no specific order. You had Leonard Fry again, Jim J. Bullock, Judy Landers, America's Sweetheart, Needra Volz, Victoria Holman, Greg's oh, favorite.
2: Oh uh, Victoria Holman on this. Oh my god. Oh. Until we get to Katie the tomato, This was the first person that stole my heart. After Rebecca Balding. So it was Rebecca Balding, Victoria Holman, then Katie the Tomato.
1: And also Marty Cohen, Jimmy Walker, and. The one and only Tom Poston. So, this week, really all the fun started happening on the Thursday episode. Because on the Thursday episode, you had a $30,000 win with Leonard Fry. But then Friday, maybe, in my opinion, one of the best episodes of the series. You got to see the big light board, so Christmas trees, and the six people who played the match game part sang Christmas carols at the start of the show. And Gene actually mentioned that there's 768 different squares on the match game board, that light board, with 2,304 total lights. Or actually, if you just do the quick math, 768 times three. So I'm guessing they had probably like a red light and a white light or a yellow light. And I'm guessing the other color must be blue. So you could, uh, basically create a number of different color combinations. If you do red and the blue, you get purple. So a little bit of science and color there, but also on Friday, this is something we've talked about continuously for four years, if not longer, Tom Poston had a mini coma during the super match on the episode before Christmas. Like a nap during the super match. Oh, what do you mean I took a nap during the super match? Oh no! And if you think the fun ends on this week, next week is even better, and then really the week after that is even better. Rubber. don't give it away. They don't deserve it. Oh, okay. We'll get to that in two weeks, but next week is also a big week. Another week we love around here. Back to Chico to wrap up this episode. Well, time for us to
0: surface from the briny deep, but you can always go to our website at itwasathigouttv.com where you can listen to the 436 episodes that preceded this one. We've got all sorts of bonuses, minisodes, live shows, instant reactions, extended versions, the whole nine yards remember we are on all social media including instagram threads mastodon at it was a thing on tv except for facebook where we are at it was a thing on tv podcast and if you are looking for us on mastodon be sure to search for us at it was a thing on tv at tvwatch.party party don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed and don't forget we are also on youtube where you can like subscribe to our channel Hit that notification bell so you can stay up to date to all of our future entries, including we put the choices out. You voted. And now we're going to cover your choice for 2023's Viewers' Choice Special. Will it be the adventures of Gina Davis as a single female lawyer negotiating San Francisco?
1: Single female lawyer having lots of sex.
0: Will it be a game show involving puppets? Or will it be Bruce Campbell as a steampunk cowboy? But all of that is coming up next time, this Thursday, right here on It Was A Thing On TV. Thank you ever so much for listening. Please stay safe, be kind to one another, and we will see you for the next one.
1: Come on, everybody, let's sing a song.
0: Oh, uh, uh, left foot,
1: right foot,
2: left foot, right foot,
1: left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. foot,
2: Oh, Bobby, I just had the weirdest dream. I dreamt I saw the strangest episode of Family Guy, and there was a giant chicken, and Stewie was an octopus.
1: Hey, 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 hey. come on now. It's all right, everything's going to be okay. What's Family Guy?